We are in Romans 16. That will be page 951 in those blue Bibles, if you're using one of those. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to open one of those Bibles up, and that'll get you there. Romans 16, specifically, we're looking at verses 21 through 27. I mentioned this to you before. I began preaching through the book of Romans on February 10th, 2013, and today is the last message from this book, so yeah. I was thinking about celebrating or rejoicing in that somehow, just the accomplishment. I thought I was going to maybe do an Oprah thing, maybe hand out free iPads or something, or, but it's just not in the budget, guys, so we won't be doing that. Maybe someday, I don't know. Uh, about this book, let me remind you a few things I said when we started, when I actually introduced the book to you in February three years ago. Uh, I said this, and I fully agree, and I hope if you've been with us that you can say this as well. Maybe you understand more better, you understand more fully uh, what the author here is saying, but let me just quote this. Concerning this book, it is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. Its message is that human beings are born in sin and slavery, but that Jesus Christ came to set us free. For here is unfolded the good news of freedom, freedom from the holy wrath of God upon all ungodliness, freedom from alienation into reconciliation, freedom from the condemnation of God's law, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from ethnic conflict in the family of God, and freedom to give ourselves to the loving service of God and others. Martin Luther, the father, as he's often referred to, of the Reformation, concerning this great book, said this, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. Beloved, our souls need to continually feed on the gospel. Our souls then need to continually feed on the book of Romans, really. So I hope, although this will be our last Sunday in it, I hope it's not your last time in it. I hope you'll return to it again and again and again. In the remaining verses that we have uh, left in this great book, Paul includes just a few greetings now. He's already asked for greetings to be given to those in the church in Rome, to several folks that he knew or had come in contact with through his ministry. But now he includes a few greetings from Christians to the church in Rome that were with him in Corinth at the time that he was writing, or this Romans was written. And then he, after those few greetings, and we'll read them, we'll just read through them quickly, he closes out the book with a doxology. A doxology. What is a doxology? If you don't know, here's one definition of it. It is a, a form of words, simply, that offers praise to God, especially for his work of creation and redemption. Okay, pretty simple definition and adequate. Scripture records a number of these forms of praise. And today, in other words, you can find doxologies throughout the Word of God. But today we're going to be focusing on the one that we find here at the end of Romans. So that's where we'll spend our time this morning. But let's read the rest of the text. And for that, we'll begin in verses or verse 21 and read all the way through 27. So if you'd let your eyes glance down at your copy of God's Word and follow along with me, the Apostle Paul wrote, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Pause. Let me just make a few comments here. Uh, Paul dictated the letter to Tertius. This is a common practice. This is what Paul did, and Tertius was a, a secretary, basically, his secretary. So he would write down what Paul said. So at this point, the secretary just takes a, a second to write his own personal greeting. He's writing a letter, but Paul's dictating it to him. 
If you're, more, if you're interested in something along those lines or want to look more into that, for instance, you can look at 2 Thess 3.17, 2 Thessalonians 3.17. There you'll also see that Paul would also sometimes take the time to write uh, his own personal greeting, and he talks about that there in 2 Thessalonians 3.17 in his own handwriting in these letters that have been dictated, and he did it specifically so that they could identify his handwriting and so that they could, when letters came, they would know, okay, this letter was from Paul because we see here at the end, his own handwriting, but the rest of it would have been in the handwriting of his secretary. Okay, So just a little information there. 23, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Eurastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Okay, So that's the greetings, a few folks that were with him. They sent their greetings there to those in Rome when Paul was writing the letter. Now begins the doxology. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. I'll make a few comments, too, and as we read through here, and then we'll come back and dive into some things. My gospel, okay? Paul uses that term, my gospel, also in Romans 2.16. So Paul is not saying that his gospel is something distinct from the gospel of the other apostles. Like, there's my gospel and your gospel, Paul's very clear in Galatians that if any other gospel is preached other than the one that came from the apostles, they're to be accursed. There is one gospel, but I believe he refers to it as my gospel because he uniquely received this gospel directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ personally came to Paul, who became an apostle later on after Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, and Jesus specifically delivered to Paul the gospel. He received it personally. And you can see that. We know that because Paul records that in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, if you want to look that up later. So it is the gospel or message of good news that had been revealed directly to Paul by Jesus Christ. That's why he refers to it as his gospel. And then he goes on, and the preaching, another translation says proclamation. So the preaching or proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let's dive now into some of the details of this really wonderful doxology. In verse 25, Paul begins the doxology by giving praise to God. The one who, Paul says, is able to strengthen Christians according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, just for clarity here, the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ should not be understood as two separate things but rather the preaching of Jesus Christ is really a further definition of my gospel or Paul's gospel. As one writer puts it, Paul's gospel was essentially a proclamation of Christ. As we've talked about before, the Greek word translated gospel simply means good news. Okay? But the good news is not just any good news but rather the good news concerning the crucified, risen, glorified, and one day returning Lord Jesus Christ and His gracious and loving and saving and transforming work on behalf of unworthy, undeserving, and helpless sinners like us. So that's the gospel. One uh, ancient theologian, John Calvin, wrote this, the whole gospel is contained in Christ. Therefore, to move even a step from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. Another writer says this, Jesus is the focal point of the gospel. Apart from him, there could be no good news. 
in the ultimate sense of that term. This is why Jesus Christ is so important, beloved. You move away from him, you remove him from the equation, you don't have the gospel anymore. Or if you distort him or teach a false Christ, you don't have the gospel. You don't have good news. Because without Christ or without the true Christ, there is no salvation for sinners. There is no redemption. There is no hope of heaven. There is only wrath and eternal condemnation that awaits the sinner if there is no gospel. Now, looking back at the text, Paul says in verse 25 that God is able to strengthen the believer according to his gospel. So what does that mean? Well, some Bible scholars think that the phrase according to my gospel, that that phrase is meant to modify the word able in the text. You can look back at it. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. So some teach that or believe that that modifies able. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that what Paul then would be saying is that God's ability is able, his ability or his power, which is really the word there, to strengthen the believer is something promised in the gospel that Paul proclaimed and clearly is recorded for us in the book of Romans. So that's one way to understand that. He's able to strengthen us according to my gospel. Just as I told you in the gospel, God can strengthen us. However, others think, and I do as well, that the phrase according to to my gospel is more likely meant to modify the word right out right before it which is the word strengthen strengthen in that case then you can understand paul to be saying that god is able to strengthen believers through the gospel or in the gospel or according to the gospel okay so one scholar just says it like this. Paul's point here, and I agree with him, Paul's point is that the gospel is the source of the strengthening or the believer strengthening. Okay? I believe that's right. Another translation of the Bible that tries to get at the meaning here and uh, gets close to that says this, says it puts it this way, he, that is God, is able to strengthen your faith because of the good news I preach, because of the gospel. It is the message about Jesus Christ. He's able to strengthen your faith through this gospel that I have delivered to you, by this gospel. Okay? I think that's what Paul intends here in this passage. Now, the word translated strengthen is translated establish in some other Bible translations. Maybe you have one of them, like the New American Standard Bible or the NIV establish, strengthen. Both are good words for the Greek word. The Greek word here originally meant fix something so that it stands upright and immovable. Fix something so that it stands upright and immovable. So, concerning all of that, one writer says this, through the gospel, God is able to establish the minds and hearts of believers in the truth, to settle us, ground us, and make us firm in Him. No one but a Christian can be certain about God, certain about His truth, certain about His love and care, or certain about being with Him throughout eternity." since it is the gospel that makes all of those things certain to the believer. Another writer says this, as an instrument for establishing the saints, nothing, nothing can compare with the gospel. With the gospel. And again, if you want to get a, a thorough... Um, instruction or description or definition of the gospel, beloved, the book of Romans, it's right there. 
That's why I say I hope that it will not be the last time that you open to that book. I hope you'll go back to it, and not just in your yearly Bible reading. Hopefully, you know, I'm hoping you do something like that as well, where you'll read through it once a year. That's fantastic. But, beloved, we need the gospel more than once a year. We need, we need to be reminded of the truths of the gospel again and again. We never, never outgrow our need for the gospel. I don't want you to ever forget that. And I even considered preaching, stopping here and just preaching the rest of the message just on that, but I got to finish the book of Romans, you know, I do. But as we study and meditate on and believe the truths of the gospel, as we focus in on and, and carefully think about and trust in the person and saving work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, then God the Father, through the life-changing message of the gospel, is able to strengthen us. Anybody need any strength? He's able to establish us in our faith. He's able to make us spiritually strong and stable. Able to fix us so that we stand upright and immovable. It's a gospel, beloved. It's a gospel. I mean, Almost all of my counseling, I would say all of them really, they go back to the gospel. Anxiety, depression, anger, lust, marriage problems, relationship problems, work problems. The fix, it's rooted in the gospel. The solution, it's rooted in the gospel. Your hope, it's rooted in the gospel. Solving that depression, getting out of that depression, rooted in the gospel. Your identity, where we get so messed up and we begin to do weird things because our identity is not what it's supposed to be. Your identity should be found in the gospel. Your value, found in the gospel. Even your marriage, beloved, your marriage instructions are found in the gospel. Think about it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the... That's the gospel. He gave himself for it. You see? It's the gospel. So I thought I would just quickly... Maybe just go back through a few passages and we're just walking through the gospel for a second. Yeah, I know I said quickly and you're already... He is fibbing right now. I am. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It's the best I can do, beloved. Romans 3.10, right? These are passages you're familiar with. You don't have to turn there. They'll come up. You can if you'd like. But this, this is really the bad news, right? We talked about it. It starts off with the bad news, the reality of humanity's condition and its fallen state, which is why the gospel is so glorious, why it is good news. But Paul just says there, as it is written, none is righteous, none, no, not one. And maybe you remember it. That means he's saying, listen, both Jew and Gentile, all peoples on their own, all stand condemned before God. All fail to measure up to God's perfect, holy, righteous standard. There is not a one who can claim to be righteous before God on their own. Not a one. And then in chapter 3, verse 22 and 25, Paul says this, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all have rebelled against God. All have failed to uphold his law, either by commission or omission. All are guilty before God, but there is no distinctions, and all are justified, both Jew and Gentile. How? By His grace. Good news, baby. His unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor. Grace. As a gift. Can't earn it. You can only receive it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
That's where redemption is found, right in Christ. He's the one who has accomplished it, whom God, the Father, put forward. That is his Son as a propitiation to satisfy his holy wrath against sin. He did it by his blood, through his death. And it is received, beloved, by faith. That's how you receive the gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. That's good news, beloved. It's simply Received by opening your hands and saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for a Savior. I recognize my desperate situation before you. I am condemned before you as a sinner. But you, according to your mercy and grace and your love, have sent your Son to propitiate your wrath against me. I receive the Lord Jesus Christ And his gift of salvation by faith. Good news, beloved. And then, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified, made right with God, declared right with God. How? By something we, by our work, by our hard effort, by trying to, you know, do this or do that. No, by faith, by trust in the one who can clothe us in righteousness before God and Make it possible for all of our sins to be forgiven. Through that one, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, beloved. We were enemies with God prior to being saved through Jesus Christ. Enemies. The last person you want to be enemies, I mean, with your creator? That's a terrible, terrible condition to be in. But now, you and I, who are believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the Lord... We have peace with him, a peace that will never be taken away. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, glory to him, is eternal life. And where is it found, beloved? In Christ Jesus, our Lord, right? No Christ, no gospel. I love this passage. Many of you probably uh, love it as well. Romans 8, 1, and we're just kind of moving through the book. There is therefore now, how much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, outside of Christ, there is. In Christ, there is not. These are the kind of things, these are the kind of things that strengthen your weary hearts and souls, beloved. That is, if you'll... You'll meditate on them. You'll think about them. You'll you'll consider them. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8.18, For I consider, in light of everything that the gospel promises to the child of God, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yeah. Any suffering? Any suffering in this world? We've got a few. Just a few have experienced it. For the rest of you, it's, it's a coming. It, it comes. I don't know. And I know the truth is, all of you, to some degree, because this world's fallen, and we're messed up, and we, we live with messed up people, and, and the world is hostile to the gospel. The suffering, you think the suffering's bad now, it will only get worse. For those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing. It's the glory that has to be revealed to us. That's gospel good news, beloved. Paul says this in Romans 8:38 through 39: For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, in case I missed anything, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is it? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where it is. It's not outside of Christ. Saving love, sanctifying love, redeeming love, is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those who are in Christ Jesus can never be separated from that love. 
Paul says this in Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, what? Saved. Everyone. No matter how bad you were or your past was or your rebellion was against your creator, no matter how thoroughly wicked you may have been or not have been, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, turning to him, they will be saved. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. That's good news, beloved. That means even your, your still unbelieving friends and family, they are not beyond the grace of God. Keep praying, keep preaching, keep proclaiming for if they will turn he will save them and uh this is a whole section in and of itself i thought i'd just backtrack a little bit because it's also so important and powerful we we talked about really all of that was the penalty of sin and the glories of heaven all included in the gospel but don't forget the gospel also deals with the power of sin right this is why in counseling people and helping them through their situations and their difficulties in life, we go back to the gospel. Because there in the gospel do we find power to overcome the sin that seeks to ruin and destroy us. Paul says this in Romans 6, 6, we know, we know. The problem is we forget, we forget. We got to know, we got to remind ourselves, we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is with Christ. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to what? Nothing! So that we would no longer be what, beloved? Enslaved to sin. You know, I've, I've said it, you've heard it, but I don't mind saying it again and again. It's one of those things like, you know, like you're, you know, the dad. Dad, you're always repeating the same. There are some things that need to be repeated over and over again. And that's why dads do it. <laughs> I think. Um, but I do it because the scriptures repeat these things over and over again, and we are forgetful creatures, and these truths are so critical to our success, if you will, as a believer in Jesus Christ. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are free so that we might live for our Lord and break free from those evil and vile habits and patterns in our life that seek to ruin us, ruin those around us, dishonor God. Now, looking back at the doxology, Beginning at the end of verse 25. And in reference to the gospel Paul preached, Paul said that it was according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. What is he talking about? So I thought it would be best to answer that question uh, with Scripture by taking a look at another one of Paul's letters. And what I'm going to do, it's a long section. I'm just going to read it, and then I'll give a quick summary at the end. I'm going to read it in the NIV because I don't have time to explain everything, and the NIV is a little more helpful here in a quick understanding of some of the passages. So it's Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll be reading... Um, verse 11, and then through chapter 3. So let me do that, 
But as I read it, be looking for what is exactly the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed. I'm going to let Paul answer that question. All right? Beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you Gentiles, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, Gentile, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, that is, Jew and Gentile, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments, and regulation. His purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of the two. What two? Jew and Gentile. Thus, making peace between them, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God, both Jew and Gentile, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you, Gentiles, Believers, Christian believers, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, chapter 3. I wanted to read all that because it's great context for chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, who's the you? Gentiles. It was given to Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That is, verse 3, what's the word? The mystery made known to me, how? By revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He revealed the gospel directly to him. As I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets, of which Paul was one. This, what? Mystery is that, here you go, here it is. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. God's chosen nation, God's chosen people, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's unbelievable. I became a servant of this gospel, this gospel, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this, what's the word? Mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now 
through the church, that's this, that's what we're living in the church age, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay? Whew. Okay, so beloved, there's a lot here, but the mystery or thing previously hidden but now made known in Christ and through the gospel is that Gentiles who were outside, separated aliens, okay, enemies of God, Gentiles through faith alone, through faith alone, not by becoming a Jew or coming under the law or any of that, but through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. By the way, this is true also for Jewish people. They become now fellow heirs with the believing Jews, God's chosen people, and have been united together as one body in and under Christ, who is the head of that body, the Lord and Savior of the church. That's amazing. See, it wasn't, you go back to the Old Testament, you know that there was, a, that there was blessing coming to the Gentiles, okay? That's there. You can see that. And it would come through the promises made to the nation of Israel. But the idea that those wicked, vile, lawless, idol-worshipping, idol yucky Gentiles, I can't think of any other adjectives that are appropriate, would then come to God and be united together as one with God's people, His chosen nation who had been set apart. and That idea, that was a mystery. That was something they didn't quite get. And you'll see that as we were reading through the New Testament. You see the Jewish people are having a hard time understanding, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, I think they need to be circumcised. I think they need to, I think they need to do, they need to become Jews in order to come to God. No, no, you're wrong. You're very wrong. You Jew and the Gentile both come to God the same way and come together as one in Christ. Therefore, anyone and everyone can become one and come together in Christ and be saved through him and brought before God on an equal level. That's amazing. So that's why you see like in Galatians 3.28 where Paul says, we've talked about this passage before, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and remember I explained that to you, it doesn't mean that when you come to Christ you lose your distinction, like you stop being a man or you stop being a woman or you stop being a Jew or you stop being a Gentile or your work situation changes, you know, you're no longer an owner, you're, I mean, you know, it's not that. It's just that all racial, social, and cultural distinctions and advantages are leveled at the foot of the cross. And so we spent a lot of time looking at that in Romans. Did the Jews have an advantage because they had, yes, they had the word of God, they had the covenants, but when it came to salvation, there's only one way. Everyone, Jew and Gentile, that's why Paul spends so much time trying to explain this. You're all under the wrath of God. And all of you only get away from that, escape that, through the one source, that is Christ. And it is His righteousness alone that you are clothed in, both Jew and Gentile. So you share now this common righteousness leveled everything is leveled at the foot of the cross and you look only to one not not to some not to the law not to judaism you look to one you look to christ and all those distinctions that kept people separated such as the jews and gentiles and kept them at each other's throats are obliterated they become insignificant in the church in jesus christ As uh, the writer said earlier, God, Christ sets us free, and that includes freedom from ethnic conflict in the family of God. Now, again, looking back at the doxology, and we're almost through. Oh, we're not. Okay, well, I've got to hurry up. And through the prophetic writings, look back at verse 26, 
We are. Through the prophetic writings, that is the scriptures, has been made known this mystery, the gospel, to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Okay? The obedience of faith. That phrase, obedience of faith, came up in the opening verses of Romans. So, Paul, they're like bookends. At the beginning, very beginning of Romans, Paul uses that phrase, obedience of faith, and at the very end, he uses it again. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, let me remind you what he says in Romans 1. There's a lot of similarities between the opening of Romans and the close of Romans. Let me read it real quick. Romans 1, 1 through 5. Paul says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the, here's the phrase, obedience of faith for the sake of his name, that is God's, his glory, his honor, among all the nations. So, beloved, according to the Apostle Paul, the gospel is being proclaimed to all the nations in order to bring about the obedience of faith among those nations, okay? So, what is that exactly? Let me remind you. I talked about it when we went through it the first time, but a few things. And one writer just puts it this way. Maybe this will help you start to understand it if you've forgotten or you don't know. He just says this, a person cannot have genuine faith without having obedience, okay? It's the obedience of faith, nor vice versa. I mean, you could, you could say the other way too. There is no genuine God-glorifying obedience without having true and saving faith. But if a person has true and saving faith, they will be obedient to the Lord. Perfectly, no, we've talked about this. But if there is no obedience to the Lord, they do not have true and saving faith. Okay? It's the obedience of faith. We know that. We've talked about it. Again, let me remind you, 1 John 2, 3. And by this, the Apostle John says this, we know that we have come to know him. We have true and saving faith in the Lord. If, how, how do we know? We keep his commandments. We obey him. We follow him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. End of story, end of discussion. Be no longer deceived, false Christian. If your life, and you know, does not manifest obedience to the Lord, you are not saved. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. You need to turn to him because you're still under the wrath. Now listen, obedience to God begins for the sinner with trusting in and having faith in the truth about God's son. You know, Jesus does not say like, hey, I want to encourage you. If you would think about it, turn to me. Repent and turn to me. I hope you might do that. He doesn't talk like that. He commands it. He commands it. Believe and obey. He has every right to. So obedience begins to this one with putting your faith and your trust in him. You're living in disobedience. You're not... I'm thinking about making a decision. No, you're living in disobedience to the Lord if you refuse to come to him, bow before him, and cry out to him to save you. You're living in disobedience to the Lord. Okay? So it begins with trusting and having faith in the truth about God's son. That he is what? Jesus Christ the... What is he? The Lord, beloved. The Lord. Okay, so he is the, yes, only savior of sinners. You must believe that. You must believe he's your savior. But listen, believing and embracing the truth about God's son must necessarily lead to submission to him and obedience. Why? Because he is not just someone who made a way for you to escape hell. He did do that. Glory to God. Okay? And he's, he's not just a good example for us to follow. And I'll choose whether I want to do that or not. No. He is the Lord. And that word is significant. And I'm not telling you anything I haven't told you before. 
But you need to hear it. I need to hear it again. It means this in the Greek, the supreme being. Supreme. There is no higher. The supreme being to whom all allegiance, obedience, and worship is due. It's owed. It's not an option. You know, the word of God says one day every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. I didn't talk about this, but in the resurrection, remember I, we talked about this at Easter? I said there's two resurrections, right? Rebels are re- resurrected too. Huh? So when the Bible says, get this, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that's literal. That is, that is the absolute truth. Believers will gladly bow. They've been bowing. They will gladly confess. They have been confessing. But the unbeliever too will be resurrected, his soul cut off from God, reunited with his body, and that body will be made to bow on its knees and confess with its mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But beloved for you and I, who know him, have a relationship with him, we are to be living in submission to him because of who he is. Huh? You can't say, I know him, and then you live like he's just some guy, some dude that you turn to once in a while when you get into trouble. That's not the Lord. I don't know who that is. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. One writer says this concerning Romans 5, remind you of this. Paul saw his task as calling men and women to submission to the lordship of Christ, a submission that begin with conversion, all right? Obey me, believe, turn to me, but which was to continue in a deepening, lifelong commitment. This obedience to Christ as Lord is always closely related to faith, both, both as an initial, decisive step of faith and as a continuing faith relationship with Christ. And I've said this before too, but living under the lordship of Christ is not detrimental to our well-being. Hello, right? You know, if I said, you know, if some one of those false gods of the Greeks or the Romans and they were weird and wacky, if they were lord and I had to submit to them, that would be a scary proposition for me, a very bad situation for us, okay? But this one who calls us to obey and submit to him loves us. He cares for us. So everything he calls us to do is, yes, for his glory, but also for our good. My goodness, why can't we get that? You know why? Sin. Sin distorts our thinking, makes us think dumb things like, no, it's not. He's not actually seeking my best. This other thing is better for me. Sin. Love it. We got to believe. Believe what the word of God says. And because Christ through the cross has set us free, as I said earlier, from this enslaving power of sin and given us his Holy Spirit, we are now able to truly live for him. We are, we are free, because that's what he's called us to, to live for him. We are now free to do that, to live as we ought, to live as God intended us to live, for his glory, for his honor, for him. Our good and gracious God. Uh, the NIV puts puts the last part of 26 this way, that it's made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. That's how they translate that phrase, the obedience of faith. You know, not supposedly believe and then just live life however they want to, just like the rest of the world. How's that honor God? It doesn't. Pseudo faith, false faith. All right. Here we go. We're, this is it. Looking again at the doxology, Paul concludes now by saying this. To the only wise God, verse 26, 7, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. One writer says this. 
To God is ascribed glory forever through Jesus Christ. There is no cessation of His glory. It never ends. It is forever. And the Christian knows that glory is to be ascribed to God on the basis of what Christ has done. It is that that enables us to see what a glorious God this God is. And I don't have time to develop this, but I'll throw it out there so you can think about it and meditate on it. But you want to know God's love? It's in the gospel. You want to really know it? It's in Christ. You want to know his goodness? You know it through Christ. You know his grace. Like you'll never know it in the gospel. His mercy, God's faithfulness, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his power. You know it. You know it in the sending of his son to save sinners. That's how you know it. Finally, one writer says, God draws to himself through his son the praise that will engross, occupy the saints through all the ages to come. Amen? Praising God for the gospel forever will be our duty and our delight in the world to come. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those specifically, Lord, that are here and they're not. They can't praise you for the gospel because they have not believed it. They have not made it their own. They have not turned to Jesus Christ. Father, for them, for them, I pray that you would reach down into their hearts, into their minds, and bring them to a place that they would, as we've said, see their need for the Lord, for Jesus Christ, the Savior, their desperate need, and run to Him and cry out for His salvation. And there, in that moment, find it just as your word says. And then they too We'll praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, for us who have experienced salvation and are living in it, rejoicing in it, hoping in it, looking forward in it, Lord, to that day, oh, may our hearts and our minds now and forevermore be continually praising you, God, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, for now and always, we pray all this in his name. Amen.